0: Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for this time this morning, for this place that you've given to us, Lord, for your word that you've given to us as your gift and for the gift of your Son, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We ask that you would uh, reveal to us, Lord, speak into our hearts this morning the thing that you have brought us here to hear today, or challenge us, convict us where necessary, Lord. Help us to be transformed into the image of Jesus this morning a little bit more as we leave. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 You know, in the last chapter, we, we looked at this uh, reminder from Paul that although we have been freed from the bondage of sin and we are not under the bondage of the law, that there still is a battle that's going on between our flesh and our spirit. And uh, Paul gives us some advice in, in verse 16 of chapter 4. He says, um, he says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So in that battle where your flesh is battling your spirit and your flesh, you know, is pretty strong, but your spirit is strong too, he says, if you don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh, just walk in the spirit. Right? Easy, right? Just walk in the spirit. It's such a Bible thing to say. You just be like, just walk in the spirit. Oh, all right. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, is it like this? <laughs> <laughs> Is it like, remember, remember uh, George Jeff- Jefferson? <laughs> what does it look like to walk in the Spirit? Well, he, you know, he's going to go on in verse 25. He kind of reiterates this. In, in verse 25, he says, you know, if you're going to live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. And that word walk in the Spirit in verse 25, it's a word that means walk in step with. Right? So um, imagine you're in the army and you, who's ever been in the army? Ever, anybody ever been? In it? Frank? Yep. Uh, Brady, obviously. Um, <laughs> walk in the spirit. Walk in step with it means that you're walking in step. You're walking in step. Someone is directing you. You know, left, right, left, right. You know that whole thing. Your steps are being directed. In fact, if you're in the army and you're walking along and you're doing a left when they're saying right, you're off. You're off from everybody else. You're off from what you're supposed to be doing. Paul says, he uses that word, walk in step with the Spirit. That means let the Holy Spirit direct your steps, right? Easy, right? Still a Bible thing to say. Let the Holy Spirit direct your steps. (laughs) What does that mean? How do you do that? This is very important. As Paul is saying it over and over again, it's important. We should know what this means. If you say, I don't know how, to do that, I don't know how to let the Spirit direct my steps. All right, I'll give you a good place to start. See, last week, the other thing is, he said that here are the works of the flesh. And he says they're evident, they're obvious, they're apparent. The works of the flesh are obvious. So if he's saying, um, instead, of, instead of walking in the flesh or fulfilling the works, the lusts of the flesh, walk in the Spirit, and you don't know what, the, to, what it means to walk in the Spirit, then here's where you start. Don't walk in the flesh, right? Don't do that. Start there. If you don't know how to walk in the spirit or what that means exactly, then don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? And what are those things? Well, they're obvious. He's got them listed right here. Again, not just that they're listed. He says they're evident. They're obvious. When you look at this list, you're like, oh yeah, I get it. Those are things that God would not want us to do. We don't want to fulfill those things of the lust. Adultery, fornication, idolatry, sorcery, murder, drunkenness, revelries, no problem. You would look at that part of the list and be like, no problem. All right? Don't kill anybody, got it. Can handle that. Adultery, fornication, idolatry, sorcery, no problem. I cannot do those things. In fact, I'm already not doing those things. That's a weird way to say it, but that's the truth, right? I'm already not doing those things. How about jealousy? Angry outbursts. Selfishness. Those those are on the list. Those are on the list. See, you can look at me like, oh, adultery, fornication, murder, no problem. Angry outbursts, oh, jealousies, <laughs> selfishness. Uh. See, here's the thing, like, like in my own life, I have found that I can come up with justifications for most of those other things. <laughs> anger, anger, it's just, he's like, well, he says bursts of, of wrath. I'm just kind of making that, like anger, angry outbursts. when you lose your temper and you're just like, blah. Anybody do that? Just Anybody? Excellent. Thank you. Not me. I was just showing you how to put your hand up. Angry outbursts. See, we can justify a lot of these things. They're like, well, you know, the Bible says I'm supposed to be angry, just not sin. Do you really look at what that means? Have you ever looked at that? What about righteous anger? Righteous anger. The Bible says that we're supposed to have righteous anger. What have we just looked at in the last several weeks when it comes to Righteousness. We're not righteous. We're not righteous. Only Jesus is righteous. Our righteousness doesn't come through anything that we do, which means that we don't know how to be righteous. We are only righteous through Jesus Christ. So how are we, how are we capable of deciding, well, this is bad anger, but this is righteous anger? You don't know righteous. Righteous. <laughs> So how are you able to say, but this is righteous anger? And I'm not saying there are things in the world that we should look at and say, I need to pray about that. I need to um, do something about that. But it's not from a place of anger. Do you know what makes me angry? (laughs) I'm sad to say it like that. When I think about the the child sex trade, I'm afraid that if I came into the presence of someone who was involved in that, I might lose my witness. (laughs) But see, I'm not supposed to even do that. What does the Bible say? I would consider that person a mortal enemy of mine. But what does the Bible say? I have to pray for that person. I have to pray for that person. I have to love my enemy. <sighs> no. Do you ever have to pray for someone that you just like say, I can't get there. I hate them. Oh, well. I, at least I can't pray for them. I can't pray because what if God does something good in their life? I didn't want anything good for that person. Here's where you start. Here's, I totally get that. I totally understand this. Here's where you start. Lord, I pray your will be done for whatever it is in their life. I just pray for your will to be done. Start there. Start there. And see if God doesn't start to change your heart towards that person. Jealousies selfishness. See, these things are a little bit more common in our lives that we may struggle against more than drunkenness, idolatry, or sorcery. But they're on the list. Those works of the flesh. It's a constant battle. What Paul says is a constant battle. But what Paul does is he, he makes a distinction, thankfully, between those who practice those things which we're going to look at in a minute again, and today where he says those who are overtaken by them. There's a difference. See, practice, remember we kind of broke this down a little bit. The practicing of such things is um, a regular routine with, with no concern that in the Bible it says not to do these things. It says that if if you make this part of your regular lifestyle, this is a part of who I am, I don't really care what it says there. I'm going to do this. This is what I do regularly. That's practicing it. And Paul says pretty clearly that those who practice these things, there is no inheritance for them in the kingdom of God. This This is how Martin Luther puts it. Those who sin through weakness are not denied pardon as long as they rise again and cease to sin. But if they do not repent, but obstinately continue to fulfill the desire of their flesh, it is a sure sign that it is not sincere. See, when you... Uh, when you however you do it raise your hand pray in your car come forward when you accept jesus as your lord and savior there's a change that happens in your life now you become you begin the process of sanctification which means you are being changed now some of the things in your life are going to just drop away my pastor up in new york said that he was a drug addict and a drunk when he got saved it all went away that's not everybody's story Not everybody has that same story. Some people still struggle with their flesh against addiction throughout the process of sanctification. That's why everyone's testimony is so important, by the way. Not everybody has the same testimony, thankfully, because if everybody had a, I was hitting rock bottom and I had nothing left and I was about to die and then Jesus came into my life and he saved me and he turned my life around. That's an amazing story, but that's not everyone's story. And what if you're sitting there and you're saying, well, my wife and I were doing okay. We, I mean, we were living outside of New York and we were both working and we were making money and we were playing golf on Sunday and it was pretty cool, but there was an emptiness inside that I couldn't fill until I was introduced to Jesus Christ. And those are completely different testimonies, but both important, aren't they? In chapter six, Paul switches gears a little bit here. See, before he was saying, look, if this is you, if you are practicing these things, if you are practicing, continuing as part of your routine life, practicing these things, then you are not sincere in your faith confession if that's what you've done. However, in verse 1 of chapter 6, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you are... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in gent- spirit of gentleness. And so Paul says, there are some of you who are going to be overtaken in one of these trespasses, and some sin is going to sneak in. the word "overtaken there has almost the idea that you trip and fall into it, or you're taken by surprise. Um, you know, and some of you know what I'm talking about. like you find yourself like, "Whoa, how did I get it? You know, How did I get here? How did I get get whatever it is you're doing? You find yourself caught up in a, a little bit of a deception, and it grows and grows and grows, and you're like, "Whoa, I, whoa. Lord, forgive me, I did not mean to find myself in this place." But some of you, it's a little bit more intentional in that tripping and falling. And you're sitting there and you're saying, "Well, this isn't so bad. It's just a little sin. Just a little white lie. A half-truth, a <laughs> half-truth. What's a half-truth? A whole lie half-truth is a whole lie. But see, the, there's, there's hope. See, the thing is like, um, you know, David wasn't perfect. David committed adultery and then ordered the murder of a man. And you might say, well, that seemed pretty intentional, but I think David would say, you know what? I got caught up. I got caught up in deception and then trying to cover up that deception because really, remember what happened? David looked at a beautiful woman and he was like, mm-hmm, Right there, he had a choice: turn away and go back in and read the paper, or continue to look. Continue and say, "I know I shouldn't be looking at this woman who is showering naked on her rooftop, but I'm gonna." Have you ever been on Facebook? Anybody ever been on Facebook? Just, just nope. me. Just me. Obviously, it's just me. And the other, like, cajillion people who have accounts. But I'm friends with many of you, so I know. <laughs> you ever been innocently, you're on Facebook, you're just going through, and then one of those little ads pops up, and it's like, risque vintage photos from the 70s. And you're just like, you either say, no, ew, or you're like, ah, how risque could it be for the 70s? <laughs> Click. Now you're on a path. This doesn't happen to me. Someone a friend told me about this one time. <laughs> yep. No, but see there's that it's that you know the flash is like just look for a second. Then you have a choice. And and as David had a choice. And David clicked through, didn't he? David clicked through, so to speak. And he got involved with a woman that he shouldn't have. And then something happened as a result of that union, and, and there was uh, sexual immorality, and then there was a child, and so instead of coming forth and admitting it right there, he was like, I'll just cover it up. I'll cover it up, and I'll do it by, well, you know, having her husband murdered. That's a big step, but that's what he did, right? He covered up the first deception with more sin and more sin. The whole time, David is telling himself, well, you know, he's, he's pushing out that voice in his head that's saying, David, David, stop it. Finally, it gets to the point where God speaks to the prophet, Nathan, who comes to him and tells David a story about a, a man who had all kinds of his own sheep, but he saw one guy with one sheep, and he took that one sheep, and David said, that man should be killed. And Nathan said, that's you, David. And he, immediately, David is like, Lord, I've sinned against you, and he repents, This is who Martin Luther is talking about, those who fall into sin but then repent and are forgiven rather than those who are just part of their lifestyle. David could have said at that point, I'm fine, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. Paul says, if you who are spiritual come across someone who is overtaken by a trespass, restore them. Remember now, why is why is Paul writing this letter? There was this group of legalists who are coming in and saying, you know, it's not just grace; it can't be just grace. It has to be works as well. There's got to be works involved here. There's got to be circumcision and keeping the law. Um, and so you understand now he's now he's really talking to the church about what it means to be a, a Christian, being one who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you come across someone who needs to be, uh, who's fallen into a trespass, restore them in the spirit of gentleness. That word restore, it's so important. It it means like um, uh, a word that you would use when you're talking about mending a broken bone. Right, So imagine if, you, if you've ever had a broken bone, and you've gone to the hospital, and the doctor, he takes your arm, and he, he kind of gently moves it around uh, to f- reset it in place. I mean, you don't walk into the doctor, and he doesn't, like, grab him and be like, all right, this is going to maybe hurt. You're going to feel a little pressure. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he grabs on, and he doesn't just, like, yank it back into place, right? It's gentle, He's restoring, mending your broken bone in a way that's gentle. And that is how Paul says if you who are spirit filled come across a brother or sister who has fallen into a trespass, into sin, restore them with gentleness. See, that's completely different than a legalist. See, a legalist doesn't want to restore gentle, they want to rip you apart. So a a a loving spirit-filled believer wants to help you lift. He's going to say, "Bear one of those burdens." They want to lift those burdens, not lay them on you. That's the difference. Compare and contrast. Restore such a one. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. Do you know what that? You know what? Are you familiar with the verse that says, "But for the grace of God go I"? That's not a verse. I tricked you. It's not in the Bible. It was a, uh, a guy in the 15th century. His name was John Bradford. Interesting guy. And he went to school. Uh, they found out that he was really smart. Uh, he went to law school. This is in like the 1544, okay, in England. And uh, John Bradford, he goes to school to be a lawyer. And while he's in school to be a lawyer, a classmate of his witnesses to him about the, what, what, what they called the Protestant faith at the time. So it was like everyone was Catholic, and then there was the Protestant faith also. And they witnessed to him about the Protestant faith, and he converted to the Protestant faith. He became a, a solid believing Christian right there while he was in law school, which is really cool, I think, that even then, even then you had people sharing their faith with their, with their classmates and people that they work with. Well, he immediately left law school and he went into seminary because he was like, I got to find out more about this Protestant faith that I've now you know, committed myself to. And he was so about it that they actually called him, they called him Holy Brantford. Uh And that wasn't like not to make fun of him. That's because that's what they saw. And uh, so um, he was you know, preaching. He got hired in a church and he was preaching in, in London. And around that time, Mary becomes queen. And she was nuts. <laughs> okay. She was so angry at him for switching over and preaching a Protestant faith because she was you know, the, the head of the Catholic Church, being queen, that she, she arrested him for stirring up the mob. That's, that's, that was the official charge for trying to stir up the mob. Um, this, as I read through this, I was like, this sounds a lot like Paul also. This guy's really smart, you know, then he gets converted and then he's preaching and then he keeps getting arrested for stirring up the mob. And so John Bradford, he's, he's in the Tower of London, arrested for stirring up the mob. Well, eventually, like really short, like a month later or so, he is burned at the stake. Now, before he was arrested in that time, whenever he would see prisoners being taken off to be executed he would look up and he would shout there but for the grace of God goes John Bradford and that's where the saying comes from but for the grace of God go I which means that person who's fallen into that trespass that could be me too I could easily have done that same thing so instead of condemning that person as a legalist often does Paul says, "Restore that person, mend that person lovingly, with gentleness, because that could have been you. It still could be you, and wouldn't you want to be restored in a in a uh, with with gentleness? For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You know what? I just wrote a little note next to that. You know what I wrote? You think you're all that in a bag of chips." You ever hear that saying? You are all that in a bag of chips. You think, well, because remember, a legalist, what they're doing is they're looking at somebody and they're saying, you know, I'm not gonna restore you. I'm gonna rip you down and I'm gonna remind you uh, how wrong you are and how bad you are because the worse you are, the better I look. So a legalist says, I'm gonna make myself look better, not by being better, but by making you worse. The worse you are, that's like if if I was standing here with someone who was taller than me. Pastor Jeff is taller than me. If Pastor Jeff and I were standing here and I wanted to look taller than Pastor Jeff, I could either get something to stand on, right? Or I could kick him in the knees so that he drops down and he's shorter. So then I look taller. Now, I haven't gotten any taller. I just pushed him down. That's what a legalist does. A legalist burdens people and lays it on them um, so that they look better. And Paul is saying, no, no, that's not how a spirit-filled Christian walks. A spirit-filled Christian lifts up other people, counts other people more important than themselves, lifts them up, restores them, gently remembering that I could be that person and I might be that person at some other point. And I'm not going to think so highly of myself. You are not all that and a bag of chips. You're not even the bag of chips. We like to think we're something. There's there's a movie that I've seen a thousand times, and it's called Remember the Titans. Have you ever seen that movie, Remember the Titans? At one point, they're in the locker room, and one guy is thinking, you think you're something? You're not something, you're nothing. We're not something, we're nothing. And he's so right, because they were getting so pumped up in themselves thinking, we're awesome, and then they started to do really bad. And so he's like, we're not something, we're nothing. It just keeps rolling around in my head. You're nothing. You know, and it's not in a way that's like, I want you to walk out of here thinking I'm nothing. <laughs> it's not my, that's not my intention. My intention is to take your eyes off yourself and thinking that you're something, but understanding that you are something. You are a child of God because you are a believer. If you are, God says, now you're my son or you're my daughter. And that makes you something. But it's not because of what we've done. It's because of who he is. There's no chips. I love chips. I know. But he says in verse four, let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another for each shall bear his own load okay so there's difference here In the first one it says bear each other's burden now Paul is saying bear your own burden that can be confusing but you have to understand they're different words right one Paul is saying if somebody that you know has a burden a heavy load that's literally what says a heavy load then go and help them bear it Help them carry that heavy load. This one is saying, um, this word load, it, is, uh, it actually means like your own personal thing. Um, and it's in reference to your own personal responsibility. You all have responsibilities that we are called to fulfill. He's saying, don't shirk your own responsibilities. You need to bear your own load and say you've got to fulfill the responsibilities you have that can't be put off onto somebody else. But what's really interesting here is he's saying, don't measure yourself against anyone else but yourself. Measure yourself against yourself. Because what we want to do is what I was just saying is measure ourselves against the person next to us. And really what it is is I'm just gonna look around and find someone who's worse than me and go stand next to them. Because then I look good and they because they look bad, not because I'm actually good. You know what I'm reminded of this most? is when it comes to election season. Well, you hear campaign ads, it is all they did this bad, they did this wrong, they can't figure this out and they don't do that. I'm for this, (laughs) but it's mostly look how bad they are and I'm just a little bit better. Wouldn't it be refreshing to hear a campaign net that doesn't talk about anybody else, but the person's like, this is my record, and these are the things that I plan to do. So you could be like, oh, that's refreshing, and I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that. No, it's always, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad, they're stupid, and, and I'm, I'm just not all of those things. <laughs> Measure yourself against yourself, Paul says. Do what you are supposed to do. Keep your own, you know, fulfill your responsibilities and measure yourself against yourself. Because remember, what is, he, what is he refuting? The charge that these legalists are coming in and saying, you need to do all these things because in the end, you're going to be compared to everybody else who was supposed to do all these things. And how's that all going to measure out? And that's the whole message that they have. They're not saying measure yourself against yourself. They're saying, I'm going to measure myself against you and you're going to fall short. Unless you're doing all these other things. But hey, I'm doing those things too. And I might be doing them better than you. All right. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Now, I listened to a bunch of people this week talk about this, and they're all like, I don't really like to talk about this verse. It's embarrassing to talk about how the the church needs to be supporting those who are teaching the words. I'm not embarrassed. I am not embarrassed to talk about this. Paul is going to say, I'm just going to read this section here. Read along with me. Do not be deceived. Uh, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And so, Paul, that, I mean, a lot of times you could take that verse out of context, context and it's still true. If you, if you sow to the flesh, what you will reap is flesh. Whatever you reap that you sow, you don't plant potatoes and reap carrots. Everybody knows that. It's a very simple concept. Whatever you plant, that's what's going to grow up, and that's what you'll harvest. So if you spend the majority of your life, or all of it, sowing to your flesh, what will you reap? Fleshly results. But if you sow to your spirit, you will reap spiritual benefits. However, within the context and that's important to look here. There's a deeper meaning or a more specific meaning. And Paul is saying to them right now, he's saying, let him who is taught you the word share in all good things with him who teaches. That's me right now. So part of what this is saying is, if this is your church home where you come to be taught the word of God, you should ought to be supporting this church and those who teach the word here okay if you come and all of all you do is come and then and then you leave and you're not supporting this church in any way all you're doing is is reaping there's no planting now if today's your first day or you're new to this church i apologize for this part right now because if you if you know me and this church we don't do this we do not preach messages so that You feel guilty and give your money. It's just not what we do. We've always trusted God to do it. We don't pass a plate around. We have a box right there in the back with a slot that you can put money in. Just pause there for a minute. (laughs) And you can do it online quite easily as well. We don't money grab at all. But this is in the word of God. And so when it comes up in the word of God, we talk about it. And so this is, Paul is saying, um, you reap what you sow. If you sow into this church, you will reap from this church. If you sow spiritually, you receive spiritually. So there is something. But that word doesn't just mean contribute. It does mean contribute, but it also means fellowship. Okay? So if you sow in fellowship into this church, you will reap fellowship from this church body. There have been people who have come and sat for months And then they call me up and they say, we're not going to go anymore. We just, we never felt connected. And the question always is, what did you do to get connected? Did you sow in? Did you come to church lunch? Did you get involved? Did you stick around and say hello to anybody when you were there? Did you sow into this fellowship in order to receive fellowship? Or do you just come and go and then wonder why you don't feel connected? Also, are you serving in this church, in children's ministry? <laughs> I thought why we laughed because I've been joking about that, but that's the truth. Are you serving this body? Right? And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all of your money all the time has to go to this church and nowhere else, or all of your free time only has to be here. I'm not saying that at all, but it has to be part of it. Because that is what means that you're part of a family. You're part of a fellowship. If you, if you, sow, uh, uh, if you don't sow here, you're not going to reap here. And that's not because, we, you know, because of any other reason, but because of this concept that Paul's talking about. You will reap what you sow. If you sow nothing, what will you reap? Nothing. Does that make sense? <clears throat> and he says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap what we do not uh, reap and do not lose when we do not lose heart. And that's uh, such an admonition from Paul to say, you know what, while you're doing good, do not grow weary. You know, there are so many times so many times when you're like, I just not, and, and not just here, and maybe in your life in general, where you're like, you know what, I am sowing into this person's life, but I'm just not seeing anything back. I'm not, I don't see that they're getting it. Uh, I don't even know if I should continue doing this. Maybe I'm just going to walk away. It's a waste of time. And I think what Paul is saying is do not grow weary while you are doing good. Do not grow weary. Just keep Swimming. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, in verse 11, it says, see what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Let me just explain that quick in case you don't know. When Paul wrote a letter to a church, he didn't write it himself. He had a scribe or a secretary who, as Paul was speaking and dictating, this guy was writing it down, right? I mean... Do you think like that's an easy job that guy must have been like I mean I'm sure Paul just gets heated up and starts going and last week Paul was like man I hope those guys are telling you this I hope they castrate themselves and that guy drops his quilt like Paul you can't mean that and Paul's like I read it back to me yes I that's definitely what I mean But here in verse 11, you get this idea. And, and he'll say this in other later, letters too. He'll indicate that he's now taken the quill and now he's writing it himself. And so he writes here, see what, with the, what large letters I've written to you in my own hand. And some people have, and maybe this is true, but some people have has said, well, because Paul had poor eyesight, which is probably true, um, he, in order for him to see what he was writing was writing really big letters. You know, when, when you're like in kindergarten and you have that paper that the, like the lines are this big and you're like writing these really big letters. And, and, and maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. But see, what I think is, because of who Paul is, I think he's doing it for emphasis. Like when you send a text or an email to somebody, Um, and you really wanna put some emphasis on one particular phrase or a section or a whole email, I don't know, Um, what do you use? All caps, we call those shouty caps. (laughs) You use shouty caps in your text or your email when you want to emphasize something a little bit more than the rest of what you've said there. And I believe that Paul is using shouty caps right here in this letter to Galatians, because he's going to say, I, again, as I'm coming to the end of this whole letter, I want to stress this last point. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution of the cross of Christ. And so again, he refers back to those who want to compel you to be circumcised. And that's like, um, they want to force you or pressure you into this idea that it isn't just grace, a belief in Jesus Christ, but it is you must be circumcised, and follow the law of Moses. And they're compelling them, forcing them to do this. But he says only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. You know what that means? If they take some of the emphasis off of Jesus and the cross being the only way By adding what you need to do, because you need to also be circumcised and you also need to follow the law as well as we're doing it, what they're doing is they're watering down the message of Jesus. Now, when you do that, and we see that happening all over still, the message of the cross becomes less offensive when you water it down, right? Let's say you uh, take a cup of coffee, really strong, and then you put in half a cup of water. I'm looking at you, Steve. <laughs> it's now not as potent as that original, just pure coffee, right? It's coffee and water. half a glass of water. And it's the same idea. When you add to Christ, especially when you add, well, it's, it's what Jesus did and what you need to do, you've now watered down the message and to the world that becomes less offensive. Remember we talked about Paul saying the offense of the cross is that Jesus is the only way. There are morals attached to the lifestyle of a Christian with the, the not doing the lust of the fulfilling the lust of the flesh but the fruit of the spirit. And there is nothing you can do to add to what Jesus did. Those are the three reasons that the cross, the message is offensive. What do you mean there's no other way? What do you mean it has to be Jesus only? What do you mean it doesn't depend at all on what I do? I'm a good person. Maybe. Doesn't matter when it comes to your salvation. You're not, by the way. So when you water down the message, it becomes less offensive. And Paul is saying, look, they're adding. The more they add, the less offensive it becomes. The more just pure Jesus you have, the more offensive it is to other people. Now, that's not necessarily to mean that you should be offensive. You may be because of what you hold to be true. But that doesn't mean, like, I heard somebody say, if you're going to be offensive to the unbelieving world, be offensive because of the message of Jesus Christ, not because you're a jerk. (laughs) I, you know, I'm sorry to say that there are a lot of people that are thinking that they're like, I need to go out and be offensive for the Lord. And he's saying, well, how, what about love and tenderness and mercy? How about being a true representative of me, an ambassador, which is what I've called you to be? Would you, would you open up the Bible? Who was more pure Jesus than Jesus? Was he a jerk? <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid to even say it like that. But he wasn't. You know, in fact, people wanted to be around him they wanted to be where he was he he wasn't handsome it's, the word says that he was of no what's the word i'm looking for no no comeliness that's another bible word you no know, one would look at him and be like hey look at that good looking handsome guy i'm going to go to where he was he looked like everybody else the bible says he looked like everybody else and yet there was something about him that they wanted to be around because he himself wasn't offensive. What he was saying may have been offensive to some, but it was the, the water of life for many. Where he would go and preach, it says many would believe, many would follow. But we can't water down the message. I'm sorry to say that if you look around the country, there are a lot of really big churches, like thousands and thousands of people go to them. This is not a condemnation of megachurches at all. But some of them that are so big and so popular with people, many times are popular because their message does not involve a conviction of sin. Yeah, it's true. Every time you go out, you're like, I feel awesome about myself because I'm awesome and we're all awesome. <laughs> not awesome. I don't want you to leave here feeling condemned unless the Lord is saying, I want you to be convicted about this thing in your heart. But I want you to be changed I do want you to be encouraged, but it's encouraging that the the Lord knows your name. He cares about you. He cares about the things that are going on. It says that he cares about the sparrow that falls to the ground. How much more so you? That's encouragement to me. It's encouragement to me to know that he knows everything. It says that he will come back in the perfect fulfillment of time. And so I don't have to figure it out. I don't also have to strive to make sure that I'm perfect every single day in case that's the day he decides to come back. Even if I'm in the midst of a trespass, when he comes back, I still get taken up. (laughs) I hope it doesn't happen like that. But if it does, I'm in because I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. How about you? How about you? If Jesus came back right now, would you go? Regardless of what state you showed up in here today, how many of you sinned on the way here? Don't do it. (laughs) Let's refer to the list envy, selfishness. for in verse 13 for not even those who are circumcised keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that you that they may boast in your flesh and it's like they're they're going to all get together later and be like how many how many conversions did you get today cuz i got six people circumcised today and they're like i only got five and that's their boasting their boasting is like look how many people i got to come along that's what paul is saying Not that they're boasting in you that you did like yes, all these people got saved. No, they're saying this. I got all. I got all these people converted today. I know. You know what? In the church that I grew up in, we had a um, a board at the front of the stage. There was one on either side. There were also elder chairs right up here that the elders would sit there the whole time (laughs) during the service. Guys, what do you think? Yeah. Get Jeff and Cesar and those guys sitting up here looking at you the whole time. Well, we are elders. Uh, to, to be fair, no one sat in them while I was there. But it was a thing before I, before I got there. That was the, like in the early, late 60s and, and there. But, uh, um, but on the, on the boards, on, on the one side, they would have uh, the, the hymns that they were going to be singing. But on the other side, that's the good one. The other side was, here's how much money we brought in last week. And um, sometimes also the number of conversions. Uh, And then they would have meetings. And and sometimes I still hear this sometimes too in my own circles. Like, well, how many conversions did you guys have this year? Uh, Well, they're not mine. They're not my conversions. And I could tell you how many people maybe made a profession of faith. Maybe. Um, but maybe you do it silently. Maybe you're in your car after the service. Maybe you re-listen to this message, as I'm sure you all do during the week several times, and, uh, and, or you're online. But it's not mine to boast in. I'm not going to boast in this is how many people we got saved in our church. I'm not going to boast in that. In fact, what does Paul say? I'm going to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, boy. So he says, but, but God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word boast could also be glory in, right? So Paul is saying that I don't boast in any of your salvations. I boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. But you understand, Paul's not talking about the, the wooden cross, boasting in the wooden cross. He's talking about what Christ did for us on that cross, you know, we, I think, understand that. We have an understanding that it's not about the actual wooden cross, but it is the work that he says. It's not anything that we did that we would boast in, but we boast and we glory in the fact of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So I read this really interesting article um, about Constantine's mother, Kath, uh, Helena, 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 whatever it is, in about 355. She went on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to find artifacts, relics. Um, And she was specifically looking for the actual cross that Jesus was crucified on. And she went into Jerusalem and she found this guy who directed her to the actual tomb of Jesus, so they said, um, because they believed that within the tomb also were buried the three wooden crosses from Calvary because... I don't know why. I don't know why they would think that. I don't know why anybody would think that the Romans weren't recycling crosses. They were simply an instrument of execution. But she claimed that they found all three crosses there in this tomb. However, they couldn't tell which one was the right one because they were all three in there. Now again, it's beyond me why even if they were going to bury these relics because they felt like they were holy, why would they bury the one of the cross that denied Jesus Christ the entire time on Calvary? I don't really understand that either. I get maybe the one that Jesus was on, but again, I I don't see that anywhere here. So the, the, the legend goes that she found all three crosses, but she didn't know which one was the one that Jesus was crucified on. And So they took all three crosses uh, to a woman in the city who was gravely ill and also very well known. They put that in there for sure. Um, and uh, they laid each cross on her to see what would happen. Well, they laid the first one on and nothing. She's still ill. And they took that off. They put the other one on her. And we're talking, if you remember... These are large crosses. So the woman's like, ah, if I wasn't dead before, I'm nearly there now. And so then they laid the second cross on her and nothing. The third cross, however, they put on her body and she instantly was made well. And so they said, this is the actual cross of Jesus. And they, and they celebrate it still as they found the human instrument of salvation. And that's how they put it the human instrument of salvation. Now, you could maybe reconcile to say, well, I guess technically that is true if that was the one. But but then what they did was they they took pieces of it and sent it to churches. And that little piece of wood splinter is venerated in some kind of case or cross or thing that you could find in several churches. And so by them saying this is the human implementation of salvation, suddenly what they're doing is they're putting all the power on that and taking it off of what Jesus did. Oh, my goodness. We do not glory in the wooden instrument that cross was crucified on, but in Christ and what he did. And that is what Paul is saying. I glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, Paul says, is my relationship with Jesus Christ that has allowed me to die to the world and the world, to me, I don't have, I, I, my identity is not in the world and the world is not my identity. My identity is Christ and Christ alone. For if Christ Jesus, neither circumc- for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision circumcision <laughs> avails anything but a new creation. It's not what we do or what we don't do, but what God has done that makes us a new creation. Fundamental. That is fundamental to a Christian. It's not what you do. It's not what you don't do. Circumcision, not circumcision, avails nothing. Christ is what makes you a new creation. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God. You know what's so interesting about verse uh, 16 right there? You remember at the beginning of this book, uh, the beginning of this letter, Galatians, Paul says, if anyone comes to you with a message other than Christ and him crucified and the message, the, the gospel of grace, if anyone adds to it, let him be cursed. That's how he starts this letter. Now he says... If you understand that it's not what you do or what you don't do, but it is Jesus Christ that makes you a new creation, you're blessed. He starts with a curse, but he ends with a blessing as he comes to the end of his message. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, remember... um, there was part of the argument here with the legalist was like, this Paul, this guy you're listening to, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. He says he's an apostle, but he's not. You know, oh, he believes in circumcision one day and some days he doesn't. It was just talk, lies, actually. You know, they're trying to discredit him and say Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't have any authority at all. And Paul is saying almost like, it seems like Paul is almost saying, I've just written this all out for you. I don't want to have to defend myself again. In fact, I bear the marks on my own body of, of, of the persecution that I've suffered in order to bring this message of grace to you. And if you want to know what those were, you can read through the letters. Paul was beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, imprisoned. He's got scars on his back. He's got marks on his wrists. Um, he's probably got bumps on his head, uh, limps and, and can't see and, and beat up for Jesus Christ. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Amen. And so Paul starts the letter, verse 3, grace to you. Verse 3, chapter 1, grace to you and peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And he ends with, brothers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul starts with grace. Paul ends with grace and everything in between is a message of grace and that is the entire message grace at the beginning grace at the end and grace all the way through grace that's why we called this the gospel of grace because it is a message of grace all the way through from the beginning to the end amazing amazing right Amazing grace. (laughs) If you're here, you know, and we've been talking about Jesus, and you heard me say that Jesus is the only way. And you're like, what? What? The only way? What about this? What about that? What about being good? What about other religions? What about all these things? Jesus is the only way. I didn't make it up. I'm not keeping score. I don't get any special points in the pastor's club (laughs) because I can mark down, you know, oh, I want a whole bunch of more people. No, I, I share the message because, well, I'm compelled to, because Jesus has called me to do this for now. And I have a responsibility, but it's not just that. I love you. I love you because, well, because, because God loves you. I'm going to heaven. Don't you want to go? I want you to go. Let's all go. Wouldn't it be cool to just, yeah, let's. And I know I'm going. The Bible says, I have an expectation. That means that God said it would happen. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. I am going to heaven, and I know that to be true. Now, sometimes I sin, and then I repent, and God forgives me because that's what the Bible says he does faithfully. I know I'm going to heaven, but if you don't know, if you can't sit here today and say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm going because the Bible says so, doesn't matter how good or bad I act. Because I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that, then you don't know. You don't know. And that's not great. That's sad. And I'm sad for you. But, but we can fix that right now. And, if, and if, you're, if you're feeling heaviness, that's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit saying, now, today, you've heard all of it. Today. You're a sinner, he says. You need a Savior. It's Jesus and only Jesus. I'm going to pray right now. If you're here today and you know that your salvation is secured because you've accepted Jesus Christ, I want you to pray with me that anybody here in this room or listening online or will, we'll will see this later, that anybody who hasn't done that would be softened up to the voice of the Holy Spirit and they would pray. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, Forgive me. I see now that I'm a sinner, Lord. I see that anything that I could do is, will, is and will always fall short. I need a Savior, and that Savior is you. So, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Lord, come into my heart and be my Lord and be my Savior today. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, Lord. Now, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit to empower me to live a life according to your word. Lord, help me in the battle of my flesh against my spirit now. Lord, thank you for freeing me from the bondage of sin. Lord, now help me to live and to walk according to the spirit from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In your name I pray, amen.